0: What's up? We're this is uh, we disagree. We're coming back to we disagree. How to open this podcast? This is we disagree. The podcast where two dumb philosophers take silly questions too seriously. How are you doing, Nick? I feel like a million dollars. (laughs) Good. This is so show busy. We We got such an energy in the studio today.
1: We're off to a good start, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, today's topic. Is death appropriate that we have this uh, upbeat mood? Yeah, how are you feeling, Cosma? <laughs> I'm great. What? <laughs> what do you think about death, Nick?
1: Um, you know, I, I think I told you, but um, in this apartment that you live in, that is my former apartment. Yes,
0: that we're recording in.
1: I, uh, I used to sit here alone some nights and think about myself in my coffin. <laughs> because the difference is more a difference of type than degree. Or, or, no, it's the other way. It's, it's a more, de- more de- a difference of degree than type. You know, it's just a... You're not dead or not dead. You're more or less dead. Well, no, not about, like, being dead. But, like, the difference between sitting in this apartment and sitting in a coffin is just... It, it's a difference <laughs> of degree, right? They're in
0: the same ballpark, is yeah. what you're
1: saying. Well, it's the same type of thing. It's just, like, smaller by or yeah. by an order of measurement. This it's is a not,
0: pretty big coffin.
1: Yeah. And this is comfortable. Maybe if, uh, if we're lucky enough to be buried in a tomb.
0: Yeah, it'll be decorated exactly like this. What are your plans for um
1: the disposal of your remains?
0: Uh, I ideally I'd like to be buried in the forest and have some worms eat me. Like I always thought that would be nice, like go directly into the decomposition. Really?
1: I've made my peace with like the morbid things that happen to a human body yeah. when it's put underground.
0: I think it's more morbid, morbid to try to preserve the body, like like Lennon. It's creepier
1: perhaps but i mean the prospect of um insects crawling within this this vessel that you've used to engage with your life all these years it is jarring but i think that the graphic ugliness of it is mm-hmm. poetically significant and it has a certain value
0: mhm well I have brought uh, our our opening se- our opening segment for you is I've brought a, a song about death that I like. Do you do you like any songs about death?
1: Oh, I'm uh, can't put me on the spot like this. I'm drawing a <laughs> blank about. Uh...
0: I always think of uh, Frank Sinatra's "My Way" as a being about death.
1: That's just because people play it at their funerals, though, I, right? Not, but
0: when I listened to it, I was like, I think this sh- I should play this at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> That's I I don't I feel like it's a song about life. Yeah, but past life, you know, it's it's afterlife. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Well, my song today is Kesha's Die Young, and I'm going to read you the lyrics and and offer my interpretation to uh to set the vibe for this mm-hmm. this podcast recording. The lyrics are I hear your heart beat to the beat of the drums. Oh, what a shame that you came here with someone. So while you're here in my arms, let's make the most of the night like we're gonna die young. We're gonna die young. We're gonna die young. <laughs> so my, my, my interpretation of this is what Kesha is really saying is death is not, you know, this tragic end to the greatness of life. It's really the firmament under which pleasure can be had. And, like, this ecstatic pleasure, you know? We're gonna hook up, we're gonna go crazy, and dance to the beat of the drums.
1: Um, This uh, this reminds me of um, my ninth grade math teacher, Mrs. Gable. Yeah? She had a lot of thoughts about this song. Yeah? Because I remember once, while I was just sitting in the classroom, you know, between periods or whatever, she... Was talking about it, and she brought it up to the subject of the Kesha song "Die Young," and she uh-huh. said, "I hate that. I hate so much. Why would you talk about dying young? Like I get, <laughs> I get the metaphor that's being made. I understand exactly what what is being said, but I really hate. Why is she talking about dying young? But
0: she <laughs> she doesn't understand, though. You know, it's it's this it's Freudian. You know, you have the the drive to live, and then the death drive."
1: Well, it is surprisingly morbid for a top forty yeah. pop song, but I like that too. I think I'm on your side of the matter
0: because, yeah. um, oh, damn it, we just, we agree. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I like it too because like she so so the chorus is "Let's make the most of the night, like we're gonna die young," and then she only repeats "We're gonna die young." So she's she's saying, "Oh, let's imagine that we're gonna die young," and we imagine it through just chanting we're gonna die young and just a, a you know a club a room full of young people chanting we're gonna die young i think that's an an especially morbid image
1: you're right that is like true poetry i yeah. um i think this is something that i've recently be- become more reflective about i think that this is in our, in my kind of like Anglo Protestant heritage, like that's mm-hmm. not something that's emphasized at all. There's not as much yeah. uh, enthusiasm to engage with the morbid side of things. But mm-hmm. when I went to um, when I went to Siena for the first time, and there was like some like uh smaller church like in the outskirts of the city relatively minor but i remember going there and there was like this woman like praying to the severed head of like some saint or the other and i had never seen anything like that like i had just moved (laughs) there and i come from like a very like normie like kind of uh anglo-protestant background yeah and like just like wow that is like very metal like (laughs) it is metal I didn't know what to make of it at the time. Like, I was kind of aesthetically attracted to it, like, as a phenomenon, but I didn't really... But I think the more I reflect on it, the more I think that that uh, very active engagement with morbidity mm-hmm. and um, mortality is healthy and yeah. normal. And
0: and it's just like what, uh, what Mishima says as well. One of his most famous quotes is, like, perfection is achieved in... In poetry written with a splash of blood, like he was kind of a freak, and he took it way too far and actually died. But, but Kesha's saying it's enough to just. Oh, well, he died! It. What a loser! Yeah, what a loser! Who would do that? The Kesha, I think that the Kesha response is be, is better. Let's imagine that we're gonna die, uh-huh. and that's enough to uh, to get our ecstasy out, get our rocks off. Well, I uh, I agree. <laughs> I well, can. we can move right move right into our questions we have our first question here from yahoo answers user love to sponge and it goes anybody all caps define death what are your thoughts on death I already got your thoughts on death but what about your definition of death of death
1: well there's death with a little d and death with a big d Death and with the
0: big D energy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the, um, you know, the little D energy death. Like, your body is shut down. Mm hmm. Um, you are no longer a Homo sapien organism walking <laughs> the earth. Uh, big D death is the annihilation of your consciousness. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I think you could. You, fairly easily come to the view that the two are the same uh-huh. like they are the same process but of course I don't believe that but yeah. I think that the real task of our lives is sustainability all good exists or the good itself consists in existence mm-hmm. as such and uh, the more fully realized we are as beings that exist that are capable of self-preservation and sustainable being the more uh, the better we are and our nature is such that we are predisposed towards our own annihilation and it takes a truly supernatural <laughs> occurrence in order to uh make us sustainable but wow. if we can't become sustainable then there's very little point to it all and i think that I'm very keen on this topic, which I just learned about uh, 15 minutes ago, because I think that the moment of death is really, everything else leads up to that, and it gives value and definition to everything leading up to it.
0: But you're saying that death is bad, unless it leads to further life.
1: Right, so the the moment of little d death is, um, yeah. is the entire point of your
0: mm-hmm. oh exile my. here. Yeah. Well, I only bring up this question because I took a philosophy class on death, and literally the whole class was talking about why it's hard to define death and all the examples against why, you know, different definitions of death are bad. So I don't want to go, I don't think it'd be totally fun to just rebut you in every way, but, you know, the, you know my rebuttal to that answer would be, but what if you were frozen, you know, <laughs> and your body ceases to work and then your consciousness stops, but you could be unfrozen, hypothetically, in the future? You still count that as death?
1: I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I've made it
0: speechless. Answer. I can't answer
1: this question. <laughs> um, I feel like this is... A- going to lead into a uh the theory of consciousness in a way that i'm not prepared to engage with with like the kind of like thought experiments about like what if you reassembled the molecules that make up your brain in exactly the same way yeah like that stuff like oh that's an entirely different we're opening an entirely different coffin with that question (laughs)
0: that's the death of this podcast is getting into the analytic technicalities of definitions
1: i have a question for you yeah which of us is going to die sooner
0: Ooh, i feel like you're either going to die very soon or a long time from now and i'm gonna die in the middle
1: my target is to become a centenarian
0: yeah oh i do not have that target i'm really shooting for 60 70 really yeah
1: i don't know i i have this vision of my life with dozens of little grandchildren running around or great-grandchildren and i think that's that's uh Uh, what i want i have the
0: vision of my life where everyone i know right now is at my funeral and yeah and and i ask you to sing my way by frank sinatra (laughs) and someone else to sing die young by
1: kesha well depending on which of your two uh uh contingencies actually ends up happening i could i will absolutely volunteer if it comes to it i will sing my way at your funeral yeah you know i don't care if we've been out of touch for decades
0: (laughs) and all my family will think who is this not great singer singing my way what i lack
1: in pure vocal talent i make up for in stage presence
0: yeah i believe you i've seen you (laughs) sing it multiple times (laughs) Uh, well let's move on to our next question this is not so much death themed but this I thought it was uh, I thought it was uh, you know applicable this is an anonymous asker in the polls and surveys section nine years ago asked what are you scared of I'm scared of heights what were you scared of when you were a child for me it was Barbies showers and the dark a lot of people are scared to death. Do you think that's a that's a good reaction? Um
1: I've been thinking since we started about um I think it's in Crito that Socrates kind of interrogates this question and he says like, well, how are we to know that death is the worst thing that could happen to a person? Maybe it's the best thing. Um like consciously, like maybe it's awesome just to be dead. I mean, I think he's not necessarily like even referring to like one or the other conception of an afterlife Mm -hmm. like maybe just like non-being is the best thing which i think is hideous but yeah and you know i am i am a fan of socrates i feel like he uh he understands the value of being as such um Mm -hmm. intuitively but that did stick with me because his argument like it's very hard to come to a positive feeling about death yeah um, in in your feelings in your like to align your emotions with your intellect in that way but I think that that, um, to actually read it as he's presented it I thought it was very uh, persuasive
0: Mm -hmm. it sounds very similar to the Lucretian argument of he has a famous line that is do not fear death for it is nothing to us which is the same thing like it's it's nothing how can you have a a positive reaction to it i mean so many people have a natural death anxiety like the
1: the foundation of my ethics is that nothing is the only evil
0: Mm. but how can you say that it's nothing it can't be evil Yes, it
1: can. If you define evil that it is only a lack of something. Evil can never have like positive qualities, it's always a lack of something. And it, you know, within our world, we can only understand it. It's only manifested as um, something that orients towards destruction, towards non-being. So people never,
0: never become, in, in your view, people never become dead in that they gain death. They just lose life.
1: Yeah, death, or, like, Big D death is not a positive state of being. It's purely, like, the negation of life. It has no value in and of itself. It has Mm -hmm. no meaning. You know, all the contingencies of people that could have been but were never created, like, their non-being has no weight. It is nothing. It is Mm -hmm. the only evil. And, you know, as creations, we are fortunate to be... (laughs) and all of our goodness consists in our being and we are on the path to destroy our being destroying
0: but death yeah we are really on that path at all times Wait, but could
1: you reiterate the text of the question I think there was something interesting in that that I wanted to address
0: what are you scared of is the heading oh
1: yes yes and then microwaves and babies
0: microwaves and babies. I'm not
1: afraid of babies as such. I'm afraid of, like, I have, like, a very instinctive fear when, um, a new parent holds me their baby. Yeah. They they offer me their baby to hold, and I think if I drop this, (laughs) this beautiful little person that I'm holding in my hands right now, it is very easily within my power. In fact, it is the easiest thing to do, is instead of to grip the baby to relent it and if i do the easiest thing for me right now i will be just dis- i will be yeah. annihilating one life and destroying two others that is scary and that gives me the heebie-jeebies it's
0: like a it's just like a normal human life except the only difference is it's really easy to murder mhm so that is scary. yeah it
1: does uh, i am afraid of holding other people's yeah. babies maybe i'll overcome it if i if i'm fortunate to become a parent but um explain
0: microwaves for me
1: well we have these little boxes in our house (laughs) and they take your food and they spew radiation at them until your food is warm if I describe it like that, you have a lot of questions, right? Imagine you've never heard of a microwave before, <laughs> and I described the concept to you.
0: It's not actual radiation. Yes, like, it but, is. No, it, no, it's, it's... It's
1: microwave
0: radiation. It's radio it's type, waves. It's a type of radiation. It's not radioactive decay. I know. know, but it is carcinogenic, right? Like, if you had... No. Like, no, it's just, like, waves, like the internet.
1: I'm pretty sure if you had, like, a microwave generator, like, in the middle of this room with no cover on it whatsoever, like, it would be carcinogenic.
0: No, no, I'm pretty sure it is just the only hazard there is that it would heat up the water in your body, like it does the water and the food in the microwave. It's creepy. It's creepy. Maybe it's creepy. So, but so, so it's interesting that both of your, uh, scared ofs have the implication of bodily harm to you or another. Hmm. Which is kind of a death fear thing. I mean,
1: what doesn't? What fear could, well...
0: Like, commitment.
1: I don't think that that's a fear per se. Yeah. I feel like when people say that they're afraid of commitment, it's that they... It's more of an aversion. Yeah, they're averse to it because they don't want to make the sacrifices.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say I'm scared of the dark. Really? Yeah, i spent a lot of time in Oregon, like, walking around the woods at night. It is terrifying. You never really get over it.
1: Well, as you know, I was in Pennsylvania last week, like, visiting my family, and, um...
0: You had some night walks?
1: No, although I do like that. I do. I am keen on the night walk life. But just the first night that I get there, it always is kind of jarring, because you see, like, the vast darkness around you, and, um, that... I wouldn't say I'm scared of it, but I do kind of have, like, a visceral, like, feeling of you know, within this mystery lies immense harm, or immense potential harm. Yeah. And uh, just to hear that and to feel that and
0: internalize it and accept it, it's actually very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's no true darkness in New York. There is the ultimate alternate street fear, which is fear of, you know, any random person on the street being a serial killer or something. Which uh-huh. is the uh, the foil, the the urban foil to the night fear of the rural. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Here we have another one. This question is another anonymous. It is in the earth sciences and geology section, and it is: if the Earth is trillions of years old, then how did it not decay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: It did, it is It's still going strong Don't get too confident
0: <laughs> uh, how, how is Mother Earth not dead by now? She is so old Well look, I
1: feel like I've been on my high horse for a minute So I'm gonna let you uh, answer first
0: I mean, I don't have a, a great answer my, my only thinking is like It seems like Mother Earth is Does kind of seem like a continuous being You know, it's a Mega ecosystem of many organisms but it seems possible for her to never die which kind of which does uh, my question here is like does that suggest that she isn't even really alive that it's impossible for that kind of system to be called alive or does it mean that she's the only thing that's alive why do you think it's like even theoretically possible
1: that she would never die
0: i mean it it seems like i don't think there's any evidence that you know she she has to die
1: well, all of the life-giving conditions of Earth are very contingent on other things on like the sun, atmosphere, yeah etc. so to say that she has like potential for immortality on her own merits is uh-huh
0: but but the, but those contingencies are external, you know right We have these internal reasons that we can't live forever because our cells age and you know they get fucked up but but her cells. The particular organisms don't really age. They evolve and become fresh again.
1: I don't know. I mean, I think it's, if you really look into Earth's deep history, that the, um, it is not, life as such is not sustainable at all. There are a thousand times in mm-hmm. Earth's deep history that the proliferation of one new organism threatened the very existence of senti- or uh, of life on Earth as such. I
0: right. don't know if you can say that. When when at uh, what time what what situation would that be besides human Well, humans? after the
1: genesis of life, like there was um there was the snowball earth or at least yeah. that's like one hypothesis uh-huh. that um the earth was entirely covered in ice and that it very nearly like annihilated all life period. Mm-hmm microbial whatever and um because of some i think it was something to do with algae on the surface of the ocean i'm not a scientist i'm not mm-hmm. equipped to really address this but it's something to do with algae on the surface of the ocean taking up so much of like one component of earth's atmosphere that it changed the chem- the chemical composition of the atmosphere such that the earth was covered in ice for yeah. However long in, in in deep time and probably measured in the thousands or tens of thousands of years.
0: I am positive that there's a there's a biogeologist listening to this podcast and saying These guys are so stupid. You know? I've been very careful to hedge every yeah. positive
1: statement I have in epistemic modesty. Okay, so okay. I think that but Like, there are so many, like, mass extinctions that could have turned, like, fully, like, deadly for life, period. Like, the end Permian extinction, which I believe killed, like, 96% of, like, species on Earth in one go, with a combination of, like, uh, volcanism with climate change Mm -hmm. and, um, like, hurricanes of like toxin and i don't know it seems in looking at the deep history that it is incredibly unlikely that conscious beings such as homo sapiens would develop that there are so many variables that if you just tweak them slightly along the way could have resulted in you know no conscious beings to appreciate the weirdness of earth life
0: but it could have, but I think, you know, no, you know, the possibility of this immortality is enough to say it's not really ingrained in life itself to permanently die. You know, though all life is, in a sort of fundamental sense, is a mechanism to reproduce itself as effectively as possible. Well,
1: like, you've, when I mentioned the issue of um, the sources from which Earth gives it, it has its life-giving pot- potential... Mm -hmm. the sun the atmosphere etc like none of them I think are potentially immortal like there's no world in which the sun just keeps going indefinitely it is burning through a set supply of fuel and it's only in the most theoretical aspect that like it could keep burning indefinitely I think that it is so you're framing it in terms of like all of the things that could annihilate earth life on earth are contingent but i think all of the things that give life on earth that make it possible are contingent Mm -hmm. and it's contingent on externalities that are themselves deeply mortal
0: well i'm i'm waiting on that elon Muskian utopia where we have sources of energy even more reliable than the sun
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think that um human knowledge as an alternative to the mortality of the planet and homo sapien life. I think it is theoretically possible that we can advance science to a point of immortality or near immortality perhaps but along every step of the way, it's so much more likely that we annihilate ourselves. (laughs) Would Would
0: you go to Mars if there was no return trip?
1: No. No? Well... I mean, it depends what you're talking about. If this is, like, in, like, the distant future where Mars has been, like, thoroughly... Like, it's been oxygenized and there's, no, like, an this atmosphere.
0: No, this is a cowboy manifest destiny to Mars with a okay, hundred settlers. But, like, a cowboy
1: can go outside without having to wear, like, a spacesuit. Yeah, this like, is
0: the new cowboy.
1: Oh, that just seems really depressing. Yeah. You know, every time you want to go out and get some sun, you have to, Dang. like, put on, like, your spacesuit and, like create like a vacuum sealed like space within your body like cowboys
0: back then were saying oh these city people can go outside without wearing you know assless leather chaps <laughs> it is so hard to be to be a settler but the cowboy <laughs> has freedom
1: the cowboy can go outside in the assless no, leather it chaps can't.
0: he's in like Arizona he, if he goes outside for too long he will die like there are always
1: environmental factors that can kill you, given yeah. enough time. And like, Arizona
0: is like Mars.
1: No, I just <laughs> I think that being able to go outside without a spacesuit. I'm sorry, that's just like pretty fundamental to me. Like I can't imagine mm. a life without it, and I don't want it to imagine. Well, what about you? What's your? Uh...
0: I I totally would. I imagine like like the future of Mars culture. Like say I'm a, one of the hundred settlers on Mars. I control 1% of all culture developed on Mars from then on. If
1: you're clever enough, it could be more than 1%. Yeah,
0: I know. And I could be like the Play-Doh of Mars. This new this new spore of human life, I really decide what it's like. I have so much autonomy. I think I, that's If like you could exciting. live in a
1: dungeon for the rest of your life in like the most like miserable like dingy dungeon. Uh-huh and yet with the assurance that your ideas and thoughts and behaviors would have a 50 or even more percent influence on the future
0: of the human race would you accept that bargain i mean i mean it's so narcissistic to even want that but like but but that's the same thing as like you know the buddhist maybe not buddhist but like the Socrates ideal of the guy who just sits on a mountain and meditates on the forms. Like, his sensory input is not not important, but his intellectuality has so much power. Like, that, you're asking me the same question. Would I rather be the perfect meditative philosopher than... Uh...
1: What would a world with a 50% Cosmo <laughs> influence look like?
0: It would probably be so horrible. Much worse than I, than I would like it to be.
1: I for all my pride for all the value that i place on my own thinking i genuinely believe a world where more people where most people think like me is a horrible
0: place to live and i want no part of it i think that too but you know one percent i think is a is a reasonable reasonable request You're right on mars you know i don't think i could have that do that much damage by I accident think I have good a world
1: good 1% more tinged by Cosmo Hinsman's influence <laughs> would be better than the status quo. Thank you. That's
0: actually probably like a huge compliment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just an intuition.
0: I mean, I mean, what you're saying is a world where like, what, 700 million people thought like Cosmo would be good.
1: Um, it doesn't break down in terms of, like, number of, like, clones of you, though. Okay. It's about, like, a kind Seven of, like... Seven bill- billion a people. baseline, like, yeah. nudge for everyone. Because, I mean, the status quo is rather than a baseline nudge towards Cosmo, we have a baseline nudge towards Bezos. Like... <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Bezos does have that 1% influence already. I, he's probably already infected our heads.
1: The new generation of billionaires what bothers me the most about them is they walk around in, like, a Gap hoodie. <laughs> if I had that much money, yeah. <laughs> I would be spending it
0: on Gucci swag. I kind of I think that's one of the nicer things. Like, obviously, like, billionaires suck in a lot of ways. I appreciate Bill Gates for a lot of reasons. But, you know, it's nice that they're, like, you know, the children of immigrants. You know, they grow up being very frugal and they make it you know it's a very it's a weird bad bastardization of the american dream that they do make a billion dollars but i think it is nice that they're not driving lambos and wearing gucci and doing that kind of shit
1: well because like what is a billionaire wearing a gap hoodie to you what does he spend that money on why does he get that money who cares he wants the money for itself exactly that's what i think is so evil about it it just becomes like this like bottomless pit and they dump money into it so that it can create more money so that they can dump more money into creating more money with like they've completely detached themselves from any like conception of the good in life they just value money for its own sake and if you're not valuing money to buy gucci swag which i think is not the most (laughs) virtuous thing you can pursue far from it but it at least has value Need no. that it is luxury. Like
0: the Gucci swag people are not valuing money better at all. You know, Bezos is still buying like a multi million dollar mansion. It's not like he's not spending money. It's just an, it's purely an aesthetic. Well then difference. he's
1: just deceitful. Then he just tries to project the image of someone that doesn't live in luxury when he does. Yeah, That's it's the, it's aesthetic. Uh, the, the, they try to tell you that good taste it's like this very like bourgeois like new money conception of good taste uh-huh. that like to live in good taste is to be very subtle about your wealth and about your means and to basically outwardly project that you do not have the money that you have, I say let it out. Let but, things be what they are. Let- no,
0: the, the Gucci people are just as deceitful. Their projection is, we are happy because we have money. We're cool because I can buy everything I want. Like, And that's also
1: wrong. The Saudi billionaires, they are the awful thing that they are. It's all on the <laughs> surface. They... <laughs> Have money that they should not have, they're terrible, and they turn their terribleness into glorious new money, mm-hmm. gaudy aesthetics. And I think that that's honestly much more admirable than just like, if, like, whatever, uh, uh what's his name?
0: Bezos? Gates? No, no, Khashoggi. Uh oh.
1: If, uh, wait, Jamal, is that, is Jamal Khashoggi the journalist that died or?
0: oh i don't know i don't remember
1: well if one of those like saudi like oligarchs if they went around in a gap hoodie instant (laughs) instant emotion in my estimation they are the like they they have their wealth out there it's accountable to the public perception and
0: i think i think you're way overvaluing the public perception in relation to their wealth Well, it's about the spirit
1: of it, right? If you're just, like, if you have money in order to, like, make more money, like, sure, like, Bezos probably lives in a mansion. But the mansion is really not the center of his world. It's not, like, what he builds his ethos off of.
0: It's just, I think it's just so weird that you're saying, oh, these billionaires are better than these billionaires because they're good spirited about it. They've a good no. It's all bad. Like like that's well, yeah, not what's I bad agree about that me. It's all bad,
1: but you can understand the difference of degree between like the billionaires that yeah. like some of them are spiritually more like. The worst thing is like I need to make money in order to make more money. Yeah. What could possibly be edifying
0: about that? Because it's t- like it's totally tautological. But all billionaires are like that, even if they buy Lambos and. You know, they're all like that. That's how you become I a I think it's a different...
1: Well, there is a difference there, right? Between, like, Bill Gates, for example, and um, uh, Adnan Khashoggi.
0: I don't think there is. I think there are... I, There's I, an I, there aesthetic might be a, difference at the very least. There is definitely an aesthetic difference, but I don't think... But that aesthetic
1: difference is meaningless.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not totally meaningless, but in relation to how horrible it is that these people can amass such great quantities of wealth, it's it's like basically meaningless.
1: As a political question, probably, but in terms of like the (laughs) spirits and souls of the individuals involved, I think that just like pursuing luxury for its own sake is so much more edifying than pursuing money for its own sake.
0: But this isn't a political podcast, this is a spirits and souls podcast, <laughs> and that's how we rank people. <laughs> how would you want to die?
1: You mean, what are you, are you asking what I want with my remains?
0: No, how, no, what, at the moment of the small d-death.
1: Standing on front of a mountain with a machine gun, as the bears are slowly encroaching <laughs> in, saying, you'll never get me, I will die in defiance of you. <laughs>
0: But you're also a hundred year old with tons of ch- grandchildren
1: a very muscular 100 year very. old
0: <laughs> Wow, it's like it's like scarface, but you're not an evil crime, lord. you're a wholesome grandfather, but it's the the, the natural force closing in on you.:
1: Yes, the radioactive bears are slowly encroaching <laughs> in on my mountain, Tajikistan and uh,
0: and you're pr- are you protecting your family at the top of the mountain? Yes. And they, they, they nearly escaped due to your scat sacrifice.
1: I should hope that they escape outright.
0: Yeah. My mom always said the best way to die would be hit by a meteorite. Because, you know, it happens fast, and they'll name you a meteorite after you.
1: I don't want a fast death, a fast, like, merciful <laughs> death.
0: You want the bear to rip your arm off, and you keep shooting with the other arm?
1: Well, let's not be so graphic, but yes. <laughs> but yes. And- <laughs> You know, I mean, this goes back to episode one. Yeah. I want to die with qualities. With
0: qualities.
1: With a positive state of being that you can point to and say, well, that is X. That is Y. Rather than to just be annihilated without qualities.
0: Uh Uh-huh. I don't even know what it would mean to be annihilated without qualities. To be
1: hit by a meteor. Like what can oh. you say? Like what can you say about your temperament when you're hit by the meteor? Oh, I was feeling neutral that day. Like
0: well, you know, yeah. I mean that in the way that's nice, you know. Like to to die how you live. It might be nice, day, but it's not good. Happy, what?
1: It might be nice, but it's not good.
0: Nice isn't good. Nice unequal to good. Exactly. <laughs> well, how do you want to die? I don't know. I think I would think I would like. An exciting death. I, I I agree with you in that I don't want that, that sudden death. You know, even if I were in a car accident, I would th- want that moment where I look down and the bottom half of my body is gone, and I think, well, this is it. I'm in extreme pain, but at least I have a few seconds to reflect. Yes, you get it. But I don't think that, you know, I see the argument for, you know, sudden death, you don't want... You know, I it, I think the fear there is that the death anxiety will ca- take over your appreciation of the qualities.
1: What if I just, like, pulled a gun right at this very moment and annihilated you <laughs> on this podcast?
0: <laughs> I would be pretty peeved. <laughs>
1: <laughs> would that be the first, like, on-air podcast death? The-
0: what do you mean on-air? No one is uploading this, like... You would. That would You're be right. so morbid I mean, for you to upload this. You do, after you you do all me. the
1: work, but I mean, if I was a true murderer, <laughs> you don't
0: even know how to upload it. You don't know all my it, like, my our podcast wait, passwords. How
1: do you sync up the audio? I just to <laughs> put the. Oh darn it! I guess I'll just turn myself in. <laughs> I guess
0: I I planned this wicked thing where I murder someone on a podcast after he says. Blah blah blah. I assume they would
1: sync up the audio in court in order to create like a They
0: probably would. uh, They totally would. They would sync it up for They would create
1: a complete podcast. I wouldn't have to do anything. It would save you a lot of work too. You might want to
0: consider this. To die. Maybe maybe for a future episode, I don't know. (laughs) To die on podcast so that a lawyer will do it for me. (laughs) I'm very lazy okay let's move on to our final question this is from yahoo answers user question mark and it's in the israel section the question is facts about the dead sea i have a report on the dead sea due tomorrow i need some facts to help make my report longer thank you
1: hmm I was a little concerned when you said that it was from the Israel section. It's just what it was. I just looked up the word "dead," and I know we have a history of dancing around the Israel issue on this podcast. Yeah,
0: very short history of
1: confronting it bluntly. Out, out of uh, out of three episodes now, and two of them we have addressed.
0: You don't have to bring it up every time we say that. I'm cutting this. I'm cutting this <laughs> this dialogue. <laughs> Give me some facts about the Dead Sea. Why are you asking
1: me for facts about the Dead Sea?
0: You studied Middle... You majored in Middle Eastern studies.
1: I know it has a lot of salt in it. It's called Dead because it's so salinated that nothing can live there and that you can float on it because of that. And there are some scrolls that were found adjacent to it that are, like, uh, texts of a sect of Judaism that was, like, very introspective and Mm -hmm. spiritualist about it and, uh... That reflects very contingent historical circumstances of the Roman Empire that have nothing to do with current conflicts that may happen to exist in the area that is called by various factions, Israel or Palestine.
0: Not, <laughs> not a political podcast. <laughs> well, what, what, why is it the Dead Sea? Did it used to be alive? Isn't yeah. that what that means?
1: I don't know. I mean, there are two senses of the word dead, right? It means no longer living, or, like, I can say that that rock over there is, like, a dead object.
0: I have never heard anyone say that.
1: Well, that light switch, that's a dead light switch.
0: (laughs) No, that means something else, though. It means it doesn't work.
1: (laughs) Well, it's plastic, right? Yeah. It's made out of dinosaurs.
0: Uh, oh, the decomposed dinosaurs are dead. and
1: became petroleum. I mean, I guess it is technically right in that case.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I have one, prepared one fact about the Dead Sea, and it's that there is such thing as Dead Sea therapy. Apparently, you know, bathing in the Dead Sea water and being in the dry climate is uh, is good. Some people say it's good for you. And this is, you know, another Kesha thing is... Uh, this uh tension between life and death is what is a uh constitutes health you know you go to the most dead place in the world and you become healthier <laughs> <laughs> that's my thesis about the well, Dead sea let's go let's go we disagree field trip field trip <laughs> death and the dead sea
1: i have nothing to say to that that's really cool do you have anything else slated or
0: no i have i have our final meet Nietzsche quote. Well, I actually have two. Okay. Because there's there's his one that was a little bit too obvious to use. It was what whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. He's the original quoter of that. But I thought, you know, even that one is a little bit too played out. So i prepared a second one.
1: Okay, well what's your
0: number 2? My number 2 is this. Posthumous human beings, like me, for example, are understood worse than timely ones, but they are listened to better more accurately we are n- never understood, and that's the source of our authority
1: yeah I remember this one yeah. you' still taking from Twilight of the Idols yeah I think that um, this one really does look good in retrospect because he is in every sense like a posthumous being. I, I mean, mean he, he's What a does man that mean? Of, he's a man of the late nineteenth century in many ways, but like he really like, you know, he had like a limited audience in his lifetime and now he's like an important philosopher with a capital yeah. I and P. But he he
0: could not have predicted that. Like I think he's saying, I right now am already posthumous. Like I interpreted him as more like saying, you know, my mind is with the Greeks with Heraclitus and and Plato and I don't fit in in this modern world he's saying I was born in the wrong generation and in a way he's already dead
1: wait no 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 no. because if he was posthumous that means that you know it happens after
0: his death yeah
1: He's not saying that that civilization is posthumous. He's but, saying that he himself is.
0: But it's an oxymoron. He's saying posthumous human beings. It's a, I mean,
1: maybe it reaches both ways, but I think <clears throat> it's hard to interpret that without like, saying that he's claiming to be ahead of his time. Yeah. That you know, society just doesn't understand him yet. Which, to
0: be fair, they didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but that, what that literally would mean is he's before his time. That he's a posthumous human being.
1: I think it means that his value is ultimately
0: posthumous. Is, it w- is only reveals itself that is, after his yeah, death? Yeah, he
1: is speaking to these circumstances after his little death. So he,
0: he really did anticipate his little aphorisms being on a podcast being really evaluated after his death?
1: I think he understood implicitly that what he was saying would become increasingly relevant after his own death. Mm -hmm. there are other statements of nietzsche like there's one where he says something to the effect that any man that attempts a revaluation of all the values will surely go insane in the process Mm -hmm. and it's very tempting to like apply like a spiritual reading to that just because it is so prescient about his own ultimate fate and it displays such self-awareness but
0: so then what does it mean to be uh for those posthumous human beings To be understood worse than our timely ones, but listened to better. Well,
1: how many people read um, Thomas Carlyle?
0: I don't even know who that is.
1: Thomas Carlyle, I mean, he was like one of the biggest intellectuals of the late 19th century, and now only a few reactionary cranks are reading Carlyle. Uh How many people read Kipling? Except, you know, of course there's an adaptation of the Jungle Book every five years that attempts to like, diminish everything that is uniquely, like, Kipling-esque about it and minimize that to the best of its ability. But as far as people actually reading and studying Kipling, like, those are both men of the late 19th century through and through. They reflect very intelligently, I think, the values of the late 19th century, and nobody cares about them anymore.
0: So they, so they, they spring up in their timeliness because they're understood better, but people don't really listen to them?
1: Right, it doesn't leave, like, a lasting impression enough to offset the process of, like, entropy within history.
0: You don't think that our number one contemporary philosopher, Slavoj Žižek, will be listened to until the end of time?
1: I mean, I can't say. I don't know that he's, uh, it remains to be seen whether he is a posthumous man or whether he's a man of his time. Yeah. I think he could go either way because he is very at odds with the time in some respects, but... Um, you know, prophets oft prove gestures.
0: Mm-hmm. So then there's the final sentence, more accurately, we are never understood, and that's the source of our authority. Mm. So he's saying, like, you know, we're going to be reading Socrates forever because no one actually understands what he's saying.
1: That's possible. And Perhaps. that's why. I think he might be reaching in order to be clever at this point, but I also think that there's something to that to what you said.
0: Mm-hmm. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. What about <laughs> that? That's his most, his most famous aphorism. Is that true? There's the classic Dwight Schrute from The Office quote. Wrong. Whatever doesn't kill me can leave you, me in a vegetative state. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, uh, which I think Nietzsche would disagree with. He would say the vegetable man who's gone through a lot... Is powerful.
1: There's uh, Ernst Junger has a variation on that as well. He says, What doesn't kill me makes me stronger, what does kill me makes me invincible.
0: <laughs> uh, go die. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Ernst Junger, to be fair, you know, he was like a man who, uh, when he was in his late teens, early 20s, went into the battlefields of World War I. If you read his memoir, Storm of Steel," he describes in harrowing detail like the like the brushes with death that he had, all of which would probably had an above fifty percent wow. chance of killing him. Uh-huh. And he is just the one that you know, statistically there are anomalies. He's the one that slipped through the cracks. and um, and then after that, he lived he wrote his memoirs, he became like a literary celebrity in Germany. Mm -hmm. In World War II, he was drafted into the Wehrmacht again, but he was, he, it was kind of an open secret that he was anti-Hitler. He was involved in, like, the kind of, uh, he was tangentially involved in, like, the plot to assassinate Hitler, um, in, like, the late, or in the mid-40s, and, um, he ultimately got off scot-free because of one of Hitler's whims. He said we couldn't destroy a literary hero of Germany like this. Wow. But, um, and then throughout, so that was the first half of his life. <laughs> in the second half of his life, he got really interested in psychedelics. Nice. He started tripping out and, um, wrote some more experimental literature. When he was, like, in 99, I believe, he converted to Catholicism. Wow. And was baptized or confirmed in the Catholic Church. It's pretty late. And he, uh, he died, like, two
0: years later. It sounds... Okay, okay. The data we have here is lots of things almost killed him, and he was extremely strong. So probably those things correlate, maybe even <laughs> causate... Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, the,
1: you know, any, like, insurance company would probably give him a horrible appraisal. Yeah, Like, life insurance company, like, he is someone who really took his chances, and, you know, in probability, I guess, like, those anomalies are the ones that stand out, and so, you know, they're probably... A thousand memoirs that are equally good as Storm of Steel
0: yeah.
1: that were never created because their authors just got owned by a machine gun in the trenches of yeah. France.
0: But maybe, perhaps, Nietzsche was a little bit too hasty with his causal inference, and it actually goes the other way. What makes me stronger almost kills me. You know? I go to the gym, every pound of muscle I build, the more likely it is that I will die soon.
1: I think that Nietzsche would definitely recognize that in order to achieve greatness, there's a certain risk that needs to be taken. And that risk is not just not achieving greatness, it's the risk of total embarrassment and humiliation yeah and in fact it's not really a risk
0: <laughs> it's
1: it's a guarantee it's an eventuality <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> and in his case i mean he was humiliated yeah but he was he was posthumous and so in the end he did all right within his own value system he did better than he like anyone really could have reasonably predicted at the time
0: yeah went downhill by the end had some mental health issues those did kill him probably did not make him that much stronger
1: um, I mean, it's hard to imagine what a Nietzsche who lived into his 60s, 70s would look like.
0: Yeah, probably a kind of Schopenhauerian, just a crazy old man with a big beard. Maybe mm. just an even bigger mustache.
1: <laughs> yeah, if nothing else, he would be eligible for Ripley's Believe It or Not. Or the Guinness Book of World Records for the world's longest mustache if he had kept the trajectory of his life.
0: Gosh. Someday I wanna be so celebrated that getting into Ripley's Believe It Or Not is down low on my list of achievements. Cause right now it would be number one. You could
1: be on Ripley's Believe It Or Not, not within a week, I bet. How
0: I'm very believable.
1: Yeah, but you could be like the incredible cockroach man if you just what? like if, if you I just just bought <laughs> like a bathtub full of cockroaches and then let them loose and then had them crawl over you and had a ph- photographer there to take pictures of it. I think that you would be in a release, believe it or not.
0: I think I think you're underestimating like those people that do those like super novelty acts how many ideas they go through before they find the really, the really popular one.
1: you right. Well, then be the incredible Spider-Man and buy a bathtub full I'm of spiders. I'm so
0: scared of spiders. Really? <laughs> yeah.
1: They are very jarring. Yeah. They, I think they exist as a reminder of the demonic in yeah. our world. <laughs> Not that they are themselves. I mean, they are creations, but I believe that they're created with the purpose of constantly reminding us of the pernicious forces that won our souls
0: yeah i don't know why you uh say that evil is negative when spiders are so positive and so evil
1: i mean what are their qualities
0: <laughs> long legs creepy i don't
1: think long legs are bad in themselves
0: i mean i have long legs yeah but the the combination of the contingent qualities of the spider in itself is evil
1: gumby has long legs
0: yeah but he doesn't have fangs and he only has two legs
1: i don't think fangs are evil
0: i think when you combine them with long legs they get just a little bit more evil
1: Mm-hmm. because they remind you of death no <laughs> no it's them it's them in themselves <laughs> well they're predator like you can't like disengage like the ontology of the spider from its status as a predator yeah and all the things that you point to are aspects of its predation
0: please nick spider ontologies is next week's themes (laughs) (laughs) what is real about a spider
1: (laughs) if you could pick however many appendages you had How many would you have?
0: Um, two more. Two more arms.
1: You would want six appendages total. Yeah. What would you do with your two arms?
0: I don't know. Juggle really good. Or, like, learn to play piano. Be an amazing piano man. Play two songs at once. Play piano man twice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You could be, like, a full uh, quartet with... With four arms. Yeah, I could!
0: I could be a quartet? Man. How many would you have? Arm at the forehead? <laughs> <gasps> Maybe one on the back? Get that sunstreet spot?
1: I would want three arms.
0: One more? Where would your third one be?
1: I'm not gonna tell you.
0: <laughs> what I'm hearing right now is you would have an arm on your cock.
1: I did not say that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I just said I wouldn't tell you.
0: What would you, would I be able to see it?
1: Yes, I mean, it would be a party trick, you know? Yeah. I take off my shirt or pants or whatever it may be. And I say, hey guys, check this out. I have a third arm, nobody's ever seen it before. And then they see it pop out, out of my back, (laughs) shake their hand.
0: Shake their hand from behind. But this segment's too weird. I mean, <laughs> <Is it> more... <laughs> you think that the <laughs> it's so animatable, though. So anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, let's get away from this. Uh, President Trump. Would you say that he is more of a rat or a blob?
0: God, <laughs> he is pretty blobby. Yeah, he, he's got a little bit of rat feature. Yeah,
1: but he has a little bit of the mischievousness of the rat. But, but the
0: but artistic interpretations of him are often just an orange blob. Right. Mitch well, McConnell. I think that those total are total rat blob.
1: You're right. he is <laughs> well. No, I think he's also his. I think he's actually more blobby than Trump. Yeah. I think that uh, the artists are very middle brow. They're just thinking about it in the most immediate sense, but. Trump really is closer to the center of the rat blob dialectic than his critics are keen to admit. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's our time. Thank you, Nick, for coming and talking with me about death.
1: Thank you. It's been a weird ride, but...
0: By the way, we are now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and check out our YouTube channel, Hegology, that's H-E-G, Um, O-L-O-G-Y. Thank you. you. Wait,
1: do you want to plug your, uh, life?
0: My life?
1: You can find me on Twitter at N-J-Dollinger. That's N-J-D-O-L-I-N-G-E-R. And buy my book, (laughs) Sunbathing (laughs) I Want To, available on Amazon. Great plug. That's it. You can do that. You, you are can, not obliged but to. But you
0: do not have to, but as per FCC guidelines. <laughs>
1: yes, you are permitted to <laughs> to search for my book my on work. Amazon. Yeah. I am on Twitter, but I do not make any normative statement about how you are supposed to engage with this information. It is
0: ontologically possible to support my Venmo at CosmoDH. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, and see you next week. Goodbye. Bye bye.